Welcome to the Audit Podcast, the number one podcast for the audit profession. Be sure to check the show notes for all of our social media channels and to sign up for the Audit Podcast newsletter. Now, here's your host, Trent Russell. This episode is brought to you by Green Skies Analytics, an audit analytics service provider that works with internal audit departments that have data analysts and are still frustrated with trying to make analytics actually work, aren't getting the expected ROI, who can't break through the communication barrier between the analysts and the audit team, and those that need experienced direction for an audit analytics strategy and process. Those that feel like they've wasted time and money on trainings, aren't getting the value they want, not prioritizing the highest risk areas for the organizations, or have projects that seemingly never get completed. Do you deal with any of that? If you do, go to the show notes of this episode and click the Green Skies Analytics link or go to greenskiesanalytics.com to schedule a call and understand how Green Skies Analytics makes analytics actually work for internal audit. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Audit Podcast. Today, we have Jason Medford back on the show. He is the CEO of C-Risk Academy. If you're not familiar with C-Risk, it is a CPE, a virtual CPE platform. You can take courses on there. You can earn various certifications um, through the platform. Jason does a great job of explaining a lot of the, the content and how it works throughout this episode. And so I'll let him speak to that because he does it significantly better than I could. And this was one of those where we kind of just said, um, all right, we'll have a general topic and then we'll hit the record button and just kind of grip it and rip it. And so it's a little difficult to summarize this one, but in talking before we hit the record button, Jason and I were just talking about various topics within internal audit, risk, et cetera. And Jason made this statement. He said, well, someone has to start saying something. And I went, sweet, let me make a note of that. And when we hit the record button, you can say what that something is. And so that's how we kick the show off and we talk about where the profession is heading. And I also pose this uh, kind of mantra of mine that I've had relative to CPE and to Jason, a CPE provider. I said, hey, look, when it comes to especially data and analytics and some tech, um, my mantra has always been to hell with CPE. I'm going to go do my training, my upskilling outside of CPE related events. And Jason said, yep, I totally agree, which was a little bit of a surprise, but nonetheless. Um, so we talk about upskilling, the importance of that, how you can do that, various formats to which you can upskill and get really the tech skills, the soft skills, the critical thinking skills is something that we hit on a lot also. Critical thinking is, is something that we discussed on the show a little bit. So we talk about that from the perspective of us, the auditors looking at the audit profession um, and using critical thinking skills to do that. So very interesting. If you are an easily offended adult or if you have children listening, uh, this is probably gonna be one to skip or listen uh, at some other time. Here we go. Topic is, of course, you are the, um, I would say like the certification person outside of other organizations that we're all familiar with. Um, and so we're definitely gonna hit on that topic of upskilling certifications, the importance of that, how we can do it, where people are missing the mark, et cetera. But just in us catching up before we hit the record button, you said that someone has to start saying something relative to the profession. What is that that you feel like has to be said? Like, I'm just, if I just gave you the floor and went, Jason, go rant, what would that be? All right, you ready for the rant? Get it. <laughs> and I'm going to preface, right? So, all the listeners, I'm going to warn you right now 
I'm just going to speak the truth, or at least what I see as the truth. And I will warn you, I'm probably going to trigger you. In fact, I've had a lot of people in our profession that have come back and said, Jason, you're unethical for talking bad about the IIA. And I'm like, first off, I'm not talking bad about the IIA. I'm just bringing up, right, some truth. I'm just uh -huh. speaking some truth. And in fact, isn't it unethical for me to just go along? Especially if, if what I'm seeing is actually hurting people. Right. Right. And I think, I think that's, that's the important part and why I'm speaking up more now is this is hurting people. It's hurting people's careers. It's hurting them emotionally. It's, 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 it's hurting them all the way around. Mm -hmm. Right. And so. So here's, here's what, right, is uh, we just had all this new bullshit about the standards. Now, the IIA claims that there was a bunch of demand to change the standards. I've talked to a lot of people, and I know a lot of people who have talked to a lot of people. Nobody, nobody was asking for new standards that I'm aware of. No, we all love okay. change that. Yeah, well, yes, of course, right? And so this is coming from a professional organization run by people who are not auditors. They are not internal auditors, and they have no fucking clue what it is like to be an internal auditor. And I'm sorry, but that's true. If you don't believe me, go check out their profiles, see where they came from, okay? But there's a lot of people who have drunk the Kool-Aid and are like, oh, what the IA is doing is wonderful. Everything is beautiful. Uh, I will tell you, having talked to a lot of CAEs, there are some significant landmines included in, in these changes to where it is going to make everyone's job much more difficult. Now, they'll tell you, well, it's because we want to add more value. And But here's, here's the reality, right, is... It's like this, Trent. If I if I come to you and I say, Trent, you know, you're a great guy, but really without my help and without me telling you what you need to do, you're really going to go off the rails. And without my help, Trent, our organization won't identify, won't mitigate the different risks. And oh my gosh, we could go bankrupt if you don't listen to what I'm saying. Now, if I come to you, right, and it's like, but, but Trent, it's because I'm adding value. I, you you can't see this. You can't see what's coming. How are you going to think about me or how are you going to feel about me? One, I would think you're a horrible salesperson because that's a terrible pitch. Yeah. It's a terrible pitch, isn't it? Yeah. But that's what we're encouraging people to do. And we're telling internal auditors, look, we have these standards. Any organization without internal audit, oh my gosh, really bad things can happen. Are you kidding me? Look at how many organizations don't have internal audit. Okay. Look at how many go bankrupt that do have internal audit. So does internal audit really stop that from happening? No. No, we don't, right? But coming at it from an egotistical and a self-righteous way of, I know, Trent, what you need. And you need to listen to me, right? That doesn't go over well, especially when, you know, again, we're going to pretend Trent is another executive 
right? And I'm coming to you and I'm like, Trent, you know, we found this control weakness that's costing the company $100,000 a year. And you're like, ooh. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, point zero dude, zero I got zero a $50 million problem, yeah. strategic problem. Why don't you help me with that? And so, and so we're dumbing it down. We look like idiots. And, and, and again, I'm not saying this is everybody, right? But that's kind of what the profession is, is, is pushing. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're pushing that, well, internal audit knows how to manage risk. We're the experts in managing risk. No, they're not. Right. In fact, I will tell you that most people in internal audit misunderstand risk. They don't talk about risk management the same way everyone else does, which tells you something. Yeah. Right. Either we're right or we're wrong. And I would say, since everybody else is talking about it differently, we're probably wrong. I like the, so we had Alex Sidorinko on uh, ERM guy (laughs) overseas. Definitely not shy to share his opinion. And we titled it. We titled the episode this also, but he said something to the effect of 99% of auditors don't understand risk. Exactly. Sounds a lot like what you're saying also. Exactly. What's- well, and, and, and even just like, I mean, I wrote a book on risk-based internal audit 2014. Mm-hmm. Shit, that's almost 10 years ago now, right? And instead of updating the book, I created a certification course on risk-based internal auditing. Because again, 95, 99% of people who think they're doing risk-based auditing are not doing risk-based auditing. What's the, right? what's the thing they're missing? If there was like one, I don't want you to give away the course, obviously, but what is it that, that's being missed? They're not focusing on objectives. They're the organization's an, objectives. Yeah. Where's they're, the they're focus? Ta- yeah, they're, their focus instead is creating an audit universe of controls, of risks, of business units, and then they're risk assessing mm-hmm. those lists yeah. instead of actually going back to the objectives. And so again, because of that, right, when you go back to management, they're like, why do you think that's a big deal, right? That's a little tiny piece of the organization. Yeah. Yeah, I know, but it's, and I know it's low risk, but we, we got to cycle through it because our standards tell us that we got to audit everything every two years. Well, that's just stupid. Yeah. Right. And the executives see that as stupid. And so when we talk like that, the executives think we are stupid. Right. And how much do you listen to somebody that you think is stupid? So there's uh we do a decent amount of, Hey, give us your audit committee reports and we'll take your visuals and make them actually effective applying data visualization techniques and clean them up and things like that also. And what I found, what like reason that I'm say- telling this is because one, you just kind of brought it up and two, it's on my other screen right now. I'm looking at one that I'm reviewing <laughs> and like the whole framework for are part of it for, for doing this type of work is for every slide we go through. And the question is, why does this slide matter? So what? And this is important because, and if you can't answer that, that's basically the same question. It's yeah. a different way. And a lot of times the answer is like, well, I don't know. It's like, well, if you don't know, then it might not even matter. Pull it out, shove it in the appendix. If you, you know, you put time into it, that's great. We'll keep it in there. But if you can't answer that, and so we'll take a, 14 slide deck and it's like okay here's the two slides that you need right and they're going yeah all right that makes sense and it's like this is all they care about they don't care about the rest of this well and it's and, and again kind of back to the standards they're getting more prescriptive yeah right they're becoming more compliance based like you have to check these boxes right. 
which, you know, if you're a huge internal audit department, have 500 people and you're publicly traded in the U.S., a lot of those things probably make sense, right? But again, we got to remember that night over 90% of the internal audit shops have less than six people. Mm -hmm. They have limited budgets, right? And so just trying to check all the boxes from a compliance standpoint to comply with standards doesn't make sense for most organizations. And so the problem is, right, and I even have, there's a, a gal over in Cyprus who's doing her PhD, uh, or maybe it's her master's dissertation on uh, objectivity and does, does uh, you know, is, is internal audit actually uh, biased? And the answer is yes. In fact, the more that you are in compliance mode, i.e. got to check the box to make sure that I did, you know, these 500 pages worth of, of standards, the more you're in that mode, the more biased you are. And in fact, the less ethical you are because you can't actually follow all of those things. Yeah. Right. And I used to be a chief compliance officer. And so I would tell people and they would be like aghast when I'm talking to compliance people. And I'm like, there is no way for you to be 100% compliant. So stop trying to be 100% compliant. And they're like, but that's my job. I'm like, okay, first off, there are so many laws and so many regulations that contradict each other. Yeah. They, they literally contradict each other. You have to choose which one am I going to follow. Yeah. If I follow this, I'm not going to follow that. Hey, guess what? You're not compliant. Right. Right. And so it's going to be the same thing. And it just, like I said, it, it there, there's a lot of unintended consequences with a lot of these changes that are coming out of the profession. And when I talk to CAEs and I coach them, they're concerned. They're concerned about things like, what do you mean the standards tell me that I have to assess the audit committee and I have to tell them how they have to interact with me? Right. That's like going to your boss, right? You know, Trent, you're my boss. And it's like, you, you know, Trent, I don't really like it when you do this and you need to manage me this way instead. Mm -hmm. I mean, I sound like a whiny little bitch. Yeah. Right. When I do that, and how are you going to respond to that? Yeah. You know, no CAE wants to sit in front of their audit committee and have those discussions. And yet that's what the profession is, is trying to push them towards. Yeah. And so we, we have to come up with, you know, instead of more standards, we need less. They need to be more principles-based so that people can actually do what's right for them, for their team, for their organization. And and it's it's we're going the opposite way, which, which I think, again, it, it hurts people. And I, I talk to a lot of people who are in these small shops at private companies that are like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I can't get my QAR. It's like, yep. don't worry about it. Okay. So I'm glad you said that. For those that maybe they just choose to, well, I'm not going to do that part of the standards anymore yeah. or at all, or I disagree with that. What's the impact at the end? You have a, you, you don't have a fully clean QAR and, but you know what? Your what board, what's the impact of that? It depends on your board. For most companies, it's zero. Your board doesn't give a shit whether you have a QAR or not. That's only the profession. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and that's where, again, I mean, I see, I was, I, I tried to talk somebody off a cliff, uh, a couple of weeks ago 
where you know she she came in and and she was like you know look in, in our country they can just fire internal auditors if they want to I'm like hey welcome to the rest of the world mm. right but she had she felt like she had to go to bat and advocate for this and try to try to make internal auditors so they couldn't be fired right and it's like well that is only going to make things worse for you anyway right and so you know, again, but a lot of people in the profession would be like, you go girl, you get out there and, and you get in front of your legislature and you tell them what they need to be doing and you make sure that they change the laws so that you're protected. Right. And a lot of people would encourage her to do that because it serves the profession, but it doesn't serve her. The minute she opens her mouth and she starts saying some of those things, she's going to get fired. Now the profession doesn't care because they love holding up people, right? And Cynthia Cooper is one of those people, right? Cynthia, I mean, she was in a horrible situation, had a lot of courage, mad respect for that woman, right? Mad respect for that woman, but she can't get another job. Yeah. Nobody will ever hire her for that position again. And so she has become a martyr a whistleblower for the profession. But the problem is, and this is what I tell people, martyrs are stupid because they're dead, right? Everybody else loves a martyr, right? But why should you be the one who gets killed? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we, I mean, uh, you, you got a family to provide for, I yeah. think, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And we plan on having Cynthia on um, later on in the year. And so we'll ask. I think that's a, a good way to to ask her is like, what's the impact been to you? Yeah, and like I said, I haven't talked to her in a long time, um, but I know especially right after it, she was wanting to get another CAE position, but nobody would touch her. Yeah, nobody would touch her, and she's she's famous enough that you know there she was in her I don't know late thirties, early forties. She's still a young woman, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the rest of her career ain't gonna happen. No, no board is going to hire somebody uh, with with that history. Yeah, unfortunately. Let's talk a little bit about upskilling CPE certifications. And if I just told you that if I said my mantra is to hell with CPEs, what is your response? <laughs> I say to hell with CPE <laughs> as, as well. A CPE and, and, provider. I, and I'm saying as I as I a CPE provider now, I'm saying that in that no one should just check boxes for CPE. Yeah. We should all be lifelong learners. We should all be doing things to upskill ourselves to, uh, I mean, we're in the information and knowledge age. And so if you don't, if you don't have that, if you're not, if you're not getting that, then you're losing your capital. Right. And so, but what I tell people is 40 hours a year is nothing. If that's all you're doing, and you're just checking the box and you're watching free CPE that's bullshit and most of it is bullshit okay um, then you're hurting yourself yeah and you don't need 40 hours you need 400 hours a year probably of learning now whether that's a formal course whether it's not doesn't matter right I mean we, we provide CPE through C risk Academy we give people CPE certificates because they have to have them Right. But as far as, you know, the, the, the whole idea behind CPE, and that's one of the reasons why we, 
we do and we don't really even require it for our certifications is it it just because you check the box for 40 hours of CPE a year doesn't mean that you're continuing your lifelong learning. I think I got CPE for doing a five-minute survey one time. Yeah. Well, and they're doing, they're trying to do those nano things now, and it's like, are you kidding me? It's hard enough to do your CPE reporting at the end of the year. Yeah. Why would you want to have to keep track of a bunch of five and six minute increments? Yeah, a fourth of a CPE. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so what is the as a CPE issuer? Why is your mantra, or not maybe your mantra, but why is it? The, why should we take your get CPEs from you then if it's to hell with CPEs? Well, you don't have to course. Right. I mean, we offer, we probably have 500 different courses. Um, we try to make it easy for people, right? Because this is the, this is another thing, right? I mean, I referred to like the bullshit webinars. You have to sign up, you show up at a particular time and then you get sold to because nothing is free in this world. Right. And so you sign up for a free CPE and XYZ firm, whoever is putting it on, because it's usually one of the firms they're going to be emailing you for the rest of your career. And it's not free, right? Even though you think it's free because they're trying to sell you something else. So, so yes, we want people to buy more, but we're not about that model, right? It's, it's, it's like, you know, it, when you're watching TV, if you want to watch all the ads, fine, it's free TV, but yeah. you're watching ads, right? So we prefer to do it more like, look, you're paying a little C it's a small fee but you're not getting sold to. It's on your time, right? So again, I mean, people, I think, value their their personal time, their work time, the balance between personal and work life. And so all of our courses are on demand. You can take them whenever you want to. You can start them, you can stop them, you finish them, you get your CPE certificate right away, right? So it's very convenient. Anybody in the world can do it. And one of the whole reasons why I did this was you know, for a lot of years of my life, I was putting 200,000 plus air miles on my body, right? And I realized, you know, as much as I was traveling, I could only reach a few hundred people a year, maybe a thousand at the most. But if I could put everything that I had learned and a bunch of people that I know who are also experts, and we could record a bunch of the stuff that we'd done and put it out there, Literally anybody that's living in a hut that's connected to Wi-Fi can buy the course, can watch it, uh, and can get the CPE, can get the training, can get the learning from it. And so, you know, it's it's not, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make it easier for everybody, right, to be able to get certifications, get training, right? So you don't have to travel somewhere and spend a bunch of money. I mean, I, I had some people that when I was training in places like Dubai, uh, people that would pay $4,000 for a course plus another two to $3,000 in travel out of their own pocket mm. to come to Dubai for a week for 40 hours, right? That's a lot of money. And I was having people, you know, that were paying out of their own pocket from Africa and some of these places like this that didn't have a lot of money. I would rather that they spend $4,000 and get 400 hours of CPE instead of 40, right? So that's another reason kind of why we're doing what we're doing. 
but it also acts as a library for people, right? Because when people, we have rent options. If people only want it for 30 days, it's a little cheaper. If they want to buy it, it's a little bit more. But I think of it like, you know, in my career, I had a library. I would buy books. I would, I would go to trainings and I would put the manuals from the training on my shelf. And so for, throughout my whole career, I had this huge library, right? And it was probably about as big as those right. two bookshelves behind me um, of different things that I could always go back to when I needed them, right? And that's another thing that we do with C-Risk Academy is once you buy the course, if you bought it, it's there for your whole career. You have lifetime access. So a year from now, two years from now, if you're like, Hey, hold it. I think, I think Trent and Jason did, did that, did that, uh, that training on data analytics, which we did have had a couple of discussions right. on that, but right. there, well, go back and watch it again. Yeah. Right. And, and I think people, people just don't understand the value that that actually has. You can go to a seminar and seminars are great. I mean, I used to do them all the time. In person is great, but once you walk out the door, you can't ever see it again. Yeah. That was the, I was talking to a group a couple of weeks ago and that was my spiel the entire time at this conference was take something because you're, you're going to come, you're going to learn stuff. Maybe write a note or two <laughs> down. Maybe you're that person that writes, you know, takes notes the entire time. You get back to the office, you know, Monday through Wednesday, you're at the conference, you get back on Thursday and you're like, yep, we're going to do all this stuff. And then you look at your inbox and go, well, let me do that stuff later. I got to clear my inbox. And then a meeting pops up and inevitably we don't do most of the things that we want to do from a, you know, a, a on-site training or whatever. And so my message the entire three days was, Take the one thing each day that you think is the most important and just schedule the meeting for it. If nothing else, a 15 minute meeting just to bounce it off of someone and go, Hey, should we do this? This is what we could do. This is what I learned. Um, so hopefully, uh, people at least maybe did that and it took the next step, but, um, yeah, because it, it's funny. I mean, in the personal development space, there's self-help and there's shelf help yeah. and most people training becomes shelf help. Yeah. You go, you don't do anything about it. You put it on the shelf and you forget about it. Yeah. So I've, I've heard lifelong, you know, 30 plus year internal auditors or coaches, advisors, whatever we want to label them as basically told the same story. So they'd have their wall of the books that you're talking about, the workbooks that just stayed up there and would never get looked at. And I know for me, every time we would move, I know you moved recently, so maybe you did this, like you move and you have this. I threw out a bunch of shit. Yeah. <laughs> Tons of these things and they're super heavy of nothing else when you, especially when you load yeah. them all up and it's like, am I really going to look at this again or should I just chunk it? Most of the time it's like, all right, tear out those three pages from the 500, throw away, throw away the rest of it. But well, and, that, and that's a beautiful thing too, like with Seagrass Academy, right? Is, you know, most of my books, I still have a lot of books, but I'm buying a lot on Kindle. Yeah. Why? Because I can access them wherever I have my phone, right? Um, you know, same thing with, with movies, right? We used to buy DVDs, but then you got to, you know, drag around the DVDs. I would rather buy the movie and have it digital, and that way I can access it wherever, whenever I want to. And so that's kind of the same concept behind Seabrook's Academy too, is you don't have a bunch of those binders that you have to carry around, right? You've got, you've got virtual videos that you can go back and watch and not have to carry and kill the trees 
right? With all the workbooks and everything that you're printing out either. We did this round table thing when the pandemic was first kind of hit and everybody had their backgrounds and there was a lot, the group that I was with, there's three or four of us, everyone had their bookshelves in the background or they had a, you know, screen that showed a bookshelf. And I was like, I put everything on a Kindle. And so I just had like my Kindle <laughs> sitting in the back and I was like, this is my bookshelf. It's, you know, this big. Yeah. And that was it. So anyway, all right. Well, I know one of the, like the mission for this year for the show has been like, let's understand the role of a CAE, how to become a CAE, CAE to AC relationship, yeah. building relationships, traits of CAEs. Cause there's really, there's not a book. If you look for, and for listeners of the show, they're probably like, dude, we've heard this rant so many times we're tired of it. But if you go to Amazon and type in CEO book, CDO book, COO book, whatever, CMO book, CISO book, CTO book, there's a ton of stuff out there. If you click for CAE book or something, CAO, there's really nothing out there. And I am not a blog person. Uh, I'm not a, a writer. And so I said, all right, fine, we'll use the show to do that of sorts. So with that said, the reason I was getting that, is there a, for CAEs, is there, how do you help them? Is there a certification yeah. for CAE? Is there something along those lines? So that's part one. Part two is, if there is, then is there some kind of, for folks that aren't CAE, so for aspiring CAEs, let's say I'm at whatever level, manager or, or staff and go, this is, yeah. Since I was a little kid, that's always been my dream. I want to know the path to get there. Do you help those folks also? So kind of two questions there. Yeah. And the answer is yes and yes, Perfect. right? Because because there isn't, um, there isn't that book out there. But there is, I created a certified chief audit executive certification course. It's about, it's between 40 to 50 hours. And it's things that you never get told unless you're in the role. Yeah. Right. And so I've been, I've been coaching CAEs for over 10 years now. I've had that role a couple of different times myself. And so I know when I first got in there, I didn't know what I was doing. I've learned a lot over the last 25 years, right. Of doing this and how Darren, who, you know, right. Uh, he's done the same thing. He's been a CAE many times as well. And so. Uh, you know, he helped me in creating this, but it's, so for somebody who wants to become a CAE, right, it gives people something to put on their resume, right? And you might think, well, why would I want to do that? Well, because when you're trying to get that job, everybody's going to have CPA and or CIA. But what if you had something different that nobody else had, like certified chief out of executive, that HR person is going to go, Hey, Trent yeah. must already know how to do this job if he has that certification, right? So it's a way to help people get a job. It's a way to help people prepare to become a CAE. But I've had people that have been a CAE for 15, 20 years go through the course and they're like, holy shit, Jason, some of the stuff you brought up in there, I'd never heard. Mm -hmm. Well, that was on purpose. <laughs> is, there, is there a... Again, I don't want you to give away all your stuff, but is there a, uh, a little peek you could give us into what that might be, one of those? Yeah, so so a few of the things, right? Like, I mean, and, and you even mentioned it, you know, talking with the audit committee. <laughs> well, there's a simple thing, right? Is that we always think about the audit committee meeting itself. It's not just that. There's things you should be doing before the meeting. There's things you should be doing during the meeting. And there's things you should be doing after the meeting. And there's before the meeting, and there's before, before the meeting. 
as well. And so that's one of the things that we kind of break down, like, well, what should you be doing? Because well, if you're only focusing on the meeting itself, you're missing the whole thing. Very little actually gets done in the meeting. Your effectiveness comes before and after. Right? So that's one. Um, a lot of times people, they focus so much on their technical skills. And again, hey, I've got a training company that teaches a bunch of technical skills. We have a bunch of soft skills things there too. But that C, the A, and the E, the chief, the audit, and the executive, people only focus on the A. And so in this course, we're talking more about what it means to be an executive, mm -hmm. how to change your executive presence, some of the things that you need to do, you know, about avoiding political landmarks, right? And so, you know, again, it's, it's, it's online, it's self-directed, self-paced, but there's a lot of good stuff in there that nobody else is talking about. And I promise you, nobody else is talking about it because I've been through all these other things. And again, some people come back and be like, well, but the IRA offers, offers Vision University. Yeah, I've been to that. And it's just rehashing standards. Good. I'm sorry, but it's just rehashing standards for three days. Yeah. Uh, and telling you how you need to follow the standards, right? But, but with that, and one of the reasons why I have the Audit Lear Forum as well, is a group that is heads of audit or sometimes number twos in certain organizations because I can give you a bunch of the generalities, but you can't get any help about the specifics of your situation without talking to somebody yeah. and without somebody like me coaching or mentoring you through it, right? Because your facts and circumstances are going to be different than another organization. So the answer that's right for you might be totally different and totally wrong for somebody else, right? And so, but that, but that's a problem. And as people get to become a CAE, and again, I know you don't, people won't believe me until you get there and you're in the job, but it's a very lonely job. Yeah. You don't have anybody else in the organization you can talk to. Because if you do, your peers are going to think you're crazy. You can't come home and talk to your spouse or partner about it because they have no clue what you're dealing with and they don't understand audit and all right. this other stuff, right? So, you know, do people have that safety net support group to be able to help when things come up? And so that's what I've been offering. We've been doing it over five years, you know, for people that, yeah, there's an investment, but it's like, would you rather invest a little bit now and avoid a lot of the things in the future. Because when when the shit hits the fan, it's usually too late. Yeah. That's what I tell people. Um, and so a little bit of prevention, having somebody in place that you can trust, that you can go to, that understands you and understands your organization, that's invaluable. What about I mean, again, you know, all the all the CAs you're talking about, you know, how a lot of them have the bookshelves and everything else, the really successful ones have people who are mentors and coaches that have helped. Yeah. So they're what not about doing it by themselves. The, they have their local, maybe it's in a industry or something to that effect. And Hey, we get together every quarter or every six months and we do a, a round table with each other and that's enough. They feel like that's enough. I don't need Jason. I don't need Hal. I don't need yep. your tribe. If we still are calling them <laughs> that from years ago. I don't need that. I've got this over here that's free and I don't need your thing. What, what, why don't they need, or why do they need you? 
Well, there is, like I said, the, I mean, you're right. There's a lot of the local chapters do it. There's certain industry groups. But if you've been to those meetings, usually they're dominated by a few people who are usually telling you uh, how good they are. Yeah. It's like gorilla chest pounding. Look at us. We're doing such a good job. Everybody else should do the same thing that we are. They're run by firms that are just trying to get competitive intelligence on you so they can sell you half a million dollar project. Oh yeah, Trent, we can help you with that. It's right. only going to cost you $250,000. Right? So you feel like you're being sold to, you feel like you're being talked at, right? And again, even sometimes, again, those industry groups, they're good for industry risk-related things, but they never get to the things that are really the things that are challenges for CAEs. Things like, you know, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm having an issue with one of the peers in my organization. Another peer executive is trying to torpedo me. They're throwing landmines out in front of me. I don't know how to deal with them. Right? I, they're very politically astute. And I don't know what to do. I keep getting, you know, stepping on these things, right? We talk about those kinds of things, how you influence, how you change your executive presence so that you, you know, don't feel like the junior varsity team going up against the Crimson Tide. Nah, nice. Right? <laughs> we'll take that analogy every time. Yeah, there we go, right? Bring, bring in the time. But um, so things like that, right? And, you know, one thing that I, that I tell people or that I've shared sometimes is, it's a very stressful job, okay? And there was a point in my life where I had high blood pressure, I was on antidepressants, and I had a panic attack at work. Now, those things are really fun, right? Yeah. I would wish those on all of my friends and enemies, right? No, those suck. It sucks to go through that, right? And so part of my mission and why I'm doing this is I don't want people to go through that. You're not going to talk about that stuff at a round table. Yeah. You're not going to have one-on-one -on -one coaching help, right? And so I'll, get, I'll give you a couple of examples. Uh, one of the people in the group was having issues with an employee. And so we got some generalities in the group, right? So we could talk about in general, hey, this is a corrective discipline issue. Here's kind of the steps to corrective discipline. Everybody kind of give your feedback on what's worked well for you where you've kind of stepped on the landlines yourself to give everybody kind of a good feel for how to do this, right? That's a general. And then it's like, okay, she got on a call with me later for half an hour. And I'm like, all right, what's the person's name? <laughs> give me a little bit of the psycho and demographics of this person, right? What are they doing? What are they saying? Right? And so we went through for a half an hour and she was able to walk away with an actual plan that was specific to that person and that situation on how she was going to work through it. And in three months, either that person will have changed or that person was going to get fired, right? Another example, I just had somebody a couple of weeks ago that was, uh, I have a new CEO. And my meeting with the new CEO is this next week. And I've been planning for it. I've been preparing but I want to make sure that I'm not missing any blind spots. So we got on the call for about 45 minutes and we went through and talked about some of the different things. And so now he was much more prepared to go into that meeting. 
And I share that one especially too, because this kind of ties back to some of the stuff we've talked about before. Because one point he brought up is he was re he's reporting to the CFO. Great. A lot of people do. But the IIA would say, no, it must be the CEO. Okay. That's kind of been the standard thing, right? And so one of his first questions was, hey, if there's any opportunity for me to try to change the reporting lines, now's the time to do it and to put a bug in the CEOs here. And I'm like, you're right. And that's what most people would tell you to do. But I'm going to tell you to not even go there. It's more important in your first discussion to find out what the CEO actually wants from you, how you can help him, right? The reporting relationship doesn't matter because I'm like, I know you have a good relationship with your CFO. Right. And he's like, oh yeah, he's great to work with. He's always supportive. I'm like, then don't fuck with it. Mm -hmm. Right. Don't go into that meeting and shoot yourself in the foot where everybody else in the industry would be like, no, man, you got to go in there and you got to push for it. You got to change that reporting relationship because you're not as independent as you should be. No, that would have been very stupid for him to do that, right? But, you know, without somebody else looking at it, knowing his situation and providing that objectivity, right? Because that's another thing that I see is we... We sit there and all day we're preaching to people in the organization. Look at us. We're objective. Look at us. We can provide insight. Look at us. We can see your broad spots. Look at us. We can see things that you can't see. And then that same person as an executive isn't willing to go there for themselves. They don't want to admit they have blind spots. They don't want to admit that they need help. They don't want to bring in somebody who's objective to help them. They just want to keep doing the status quo. Yeah. And it's like, how hypocritical is that first off, right? And I know auditors are all about ethics, right? Okay. And it's like, you think a hypocrite is ethical? So are you being ethical by doing that? Yeah. Right? Um, you know, one thing to consider. I'm just saying, yeah. right? And, and that's one thing that the Auto Leader Forum does help with is it gives you objective people who love you and care for you and will call you out on your shit. Because sometimes we all need to be called out. All right. So with everything that we've talked about, what what do you want to leave the audience with today? So I think I think one important thing is to do what's right for you. Okay. Because I can sit here and again, people maybe that were listening beforehand, they're like, Jason, you're full of shit. That's fine. I don't care. All right. If you think I'm full of shit and you don't think that any of the stuff that I talked about is for you, fine. Right? No hard feelings. You do what's best for you. Right? Do what's best for you. Do what's best for your team. Do what's best for your organization. Don't give a shit about what's best for the profession. Okay. Do what's best for you, for your team, for your organization. Right? Don't try to be somebody else. Be yourself. Right? Don't try to be the chameleon. Don't try to do audit like everybody else does. Don't try to say things the way everybody else does. I mean, come on, look at me. I'm kind of weird, right? <laughs> and the more authentic that we are, the more we actually step into who we are and do things in the way that we are, that's what makes us beautiful, right? But the hard part is we're so afraid of what other people are going to say. 
that we usually just go along to get along. But that will just get you in the ditch, right? And so, you know, again, it's like, do what's right for you, right? Listen, listen to what I'm saying. Don't listen to what I'm saying. I don't care because I don't care if you like me or not. I'm just here to tell you what's on my mind, what I'm seeing, right? Because I don't like people in pain. And that's why when, when people don't listen, a lot of times they end up in pain. And literally I have people that cry with, that cry on the phone with me. Like people who have taken the CIA exam 10 times and they failed it and they feel like such a failure and a loser. And it's like, I don't like that. I don't like, I don't like that those people have been hurt by telling them, well, you have to get your CIA or you're not a real auditor. Are you fucking kidding me? Do you know how many other certifications are out there? Right. And your value as a human being has nothing to do with the letters behind your name. Now, letters behind your name make it easier for you to get a job and provide for your family. So, of course, I'm going to suggest that. Right. But do what's right for you. Be you. Right. And, and don't feel like you have to do it the way everybody else does. Hey, everyone. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Audit Podcast. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, I'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere. So please hit the subscribe button there. If you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, feel free to go give us that five-star rating. It only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five-star review. And it really helps to get future guests to come on the show. So we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from The Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.